Good evening and welcome back to our 14th night of Unlocked Revelation. Let's just have a moment of prayer. Heavenly Father, we pray that as we open this study tonight, that the Spirit of God will be with us. And we just pray that you will fill us, help us to understand the topic and also to make it a part of our lives. Bless us, be vital and alive in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Our topic tonight is Buried and Forgotten by God. Back in 1999, there was a man by the name, a magician by the name of David Blaine. He buried himself alive for seven days in New York City. Over the top of him, there was a three-ton water-filled tank. And he only had enough room for a little bit of wiggle room. For seven days, he laid under there. All he could have was a little few sips of water each day. No food, just a few sips of water. Lying on his back for a whole week, many people thought for sure he'd be dead. But you know what? He wasn't. When they, time was up and they finally took that tank off of him, David Blaine came out alive again. Often, we run into unusual things like that. But most of the time, when you bury a person, they're supposed to stay there. When a person is dead, I mean, we presume them to be dead when we bury them. It's not nice to bury people alive, is it? But yet, the Lord tells us that people are being buried alive. And by the grace of God, they are coming forth again to live. Let's look at this for a moment. Tonight, we're going to be talking about something you may say to yourself, what does this have to do with Revelation? It does. And I'll show you in a few moments why. The theme of what we're talking about tonight is burying the old man. Not revising the old nature, but burying the old nature. Because it's not God's desire to save man in sin. He wants to save us from sin. You see. And so the old man has to die so that the new man can come to life again. By altering one of the Ten Commandments of God, it distorted the significance of other biblical teachings, and thus it weakened the gospel message. I'll show you that in a few moments. We know that if you, if you tamper with one commandment, it affects the others, and it's as though you've, you've tampered with all of them. But there are other teachings of the Bible that are also affiliated with it. Now, in end times, false doctrines will be established and enforced, distorted, and non-biblical teachings will come up. And we need to know the difference. Let's look at 1 John 5, 8. It says, And there are three that bear witness in heaven the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? But it says on earth, there are three that bear witness, the Spirit, the water, 
and the blood. And these three agree in one. We are to be baptized with the Holy Spirit, aren't we? Okay. We are to be baptized with water and with the blood of Jesus that covers our sins. This is what it's referring to. Revelation 7.14, it says, And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, These are they which came out of great tribulation, and they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Isn't that interesting? You wash something in blood and it comes out white, you see. So this concept of washing, we know how washing with water, in the temple in Israel before the priest would go into the uh, tabernacle after he had offered the sacrifice, he would take the blood, he'd go over to the laver, and there he would wash his hands and his feet before going into the temple. That washing with water symbolized baptism, actually. And then he went inside. Why? Because he was clean. White means pure or clean. In Genesis 2, 2 and 3, it says, And on the seventh day God ended his work which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made. It's not that God was tired. He rested because he wanted to have interaction with the creation that he had made. Now notice what it says here. This is from the Catholic Encyclopedia, Volume 4, page 153. The church, after changing the day from uh, the day of rest from the Jewish Sabbath on the seventh day to the first day of the week, made the third commandment refer to Sunday as the day to be kept holy as the Lord's Day. Now, this is where you'll see a little shift of emphasis taking place. Only by exalting Sunday as the commemoration of the resurrection, for which there is no biblical authority, baptism by immersion, which is the biblical symbol, lost its significance and was later changed also. It is based on an unscriptural attack against the Sabbath commandment. Do you catch the point I'm making? By making the first day of the week the day of rest in commemoration of the resurrection of Jesus, for which there was no scriptural authority, Jesus actually gave a symbol in commemoration of his death, burial, and resurrection. You see? And that was baptism by immersion. Not only did the Sabbath shift, but now we find that there's a shift in baptism, too, as a result of it. Let's look, Matthew 28, 19, and 20. What is the great gospel commission to the church today, to the Christian church? Jesus... Before he ascended to heaven, he gave a commission to his disciples. He said, go, therefore, and make disciples. Those are followers. uh, Those are Jesus believers. Make disciples of all nations. It's worldwide. Okay? 
baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age or the end of the world. So the commission is that we go and teach the world the scriptures so that they can be followers of Jesus. And notice with that, baptism comes along with it. Now we need to understand what baptism is all about. Notice what it says in the Bible. Baptism, well, is mentioned 80 times in the New Testament. 80 times in the New Testament. The Jews, by the way, in the time of Jesus, used to baptize, but they would baptize proselytes. They would baptize people who were non-Jews who came into Judaism. And they didn't feel they needed to be baptized because when they came out of Egypt, they were slaves. And when they went down through the Red Sea, they came up on the other side free men and a free nation. And so, as it says in the scriptures, that they were baptized as a national group of people. But individuals, it says, need baptism. Now, notice what it says in Ephesians 4 5. It says that there is one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. Now, what's it mean by one baptism? It means one method or mode of baptism. In Matthew, 20, uh, Matthew 3, 13 through 17, Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you're coming to me? Jesus is the sinless one, right? And here's John, his cousin, saying, You're coming? For me to baptize you? Hey, I'm the sinner. You should baptize me. But notice what Jesus said. Jesus said, Jesus answered and said unto him, Permit it to be so now. For thus it is, it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Why did Jesus do that? He did it as an example for others to follow. I think he also did it vicariously for those who believed and weren't able to make it to the waters of baptism I think of the thief on the cross the thief on the cross if he had had the opportunity he confessed his faith in Jesus if he had the opportunity to get down from that cross I think he would have been baptized now that's only my conjecture you understand but the Romans weren't going to let him down to get baptized, you understand. So, I think that Jesus' baptism covers him. But for those of us who have the opportunity to be baptized, he expects us to do so. Notice what it says in Matthew three thirteen through 17. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. 
Now notice, I'll go back to that slide again. It says, Jesus came up immediately from the water. John put him down in the water. How could he come up out of the water unless he went down in the water, right? So we find that Jesus was baptized by immersion. Why did everybody go out to John? Because the Jordan is where the water was. Notice that John didn't bring the water to them. They had to come to the water. And so, there are other examples. For instance, in the scriptures, it talks about um, the Ethiopian eunuch and Philip was told to run alongside the chariot of this man from Ethiopia. He was a treasurer of that nation under Queen Candace. And he was coming back from Jerusalem. He was probably an Ethiopic Jew. And he believed in the scriptures. The very fact, he was reading the book of Isaiah. And alongside Philip's running, he looks in and he says, "Uh, do you know what you're reading? And the man said, no, I really don't. He said, how can I? I don't have anybody to to tell me, uh, interpret it for me. And he said, I'll do it. So he tells his driver to stop the chariot. He gets in, they ride along together, and he explains the scriptures that reveal Jesus and how Jesus died, rested in his grave, and came up again in a resurrection. And he related that to the Ethiopian, and said, this is why God wants his disciples to be baptized as a symbol of their faith, an outward declaration of the inward faith that they have. And so it says in Acts eight thirty six. now as they went down the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, see, Here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? And so, it says in verse 38, So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. I once heard of something called the camel track baptism. I had someone once tell me, well, you know, I believe in the camel track baptism. I said, what is that? And he said that out in the desert there, the camels were walking, and it, one of the tracks filled up with water, and we took some of that water, and sp- you just take some of that water and splash it on a person. Where do you get that in the Bible? I've never heard of the camel track baptism. Some people baptize with roses, And they pour rose petals all over you. Maybe the flower people do that, but that's not scriptural. No, the scripture tells us that when a person is baptized, they are put down into the water. Why? Because they're dying to the old life. They're dying to self, to selfishness. They're washed over with the water, the cleansing water. And when they come up, It's to newness of life, no longer to live for their own selfish goals, but to live for the Lord. 
Now, the word, what does it mean? The word itself, baptize. It comes from the Greek word baptizo. Baptizo means to dip or to immerse or to plunge underwater. It actually comes from the textile industry. In the textile industry, when they would take cloth and they wanted to make that cloth red or blue, they would take that white wool and let's, well, let's just say what would happen to that white wool if they dipped their fingers in it and went spatter, spatter, spatter on it? What color would they get? Polka dot, right? Okay. What if they took a, a scoop of, uh, you know, a pitcher of the dye and just held the thing up and poured it on? They get streaks. The only way that you would get the whole thing, one color, is to baptize it, baptizo, put it under. And so this is where the term comes from. It's actually uh, a term used in the textile industry. What does the scripture have to say on this particular topic? Look at Mark 16, 15 and 16. There's prerequisites to being baptized. Notice, he who believes and is baptized will be saved. But he who does not believe will be condemned. There are some people who are baptized just because everybody else is. I remember when I was a kid, I was a member of a, a popular church, and the only time I used to go to church was at, uh, you know, Easter and Christmas. And one time I showed up in my, Sabbath, uh, my Sunday school class, and a group of boys, we were about, I don't know, I think I was about 10 at the time, <coughs> And the Sunday school teacher said to me, well, guys, there's going to be baptism next week. How many of you guys are going to be baptized? I hadn't been there in, you know, half a year. How many of you are going to be baptized? And one of the kids raised his hand, another did. And then he pointed at me and said, Bob, what about you? You going to be baptized? Well, I don't know. Uh, Is he going to be baptized? Yeah, he's going to be baptized. Is he going to be baptized? Yeah. Okay, then I guess I'll be baptized too. And I was baptized. Nobody ever taught me anything. I didn't know anything. I didn't know Genesis from Revelation. I did know Jesus as my Savior, but I knew nothing about the Scripture or the truth of God. So notice what it says. We must believe. Not just baptize, or else, I mean, you can... That's just taking a bath if you don't believe in what it symbolizes. And so it's significant that we must first believe. Notice in Revelation 14.12, it says, Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. When in the last days, our faith is going to be tested. Our faith has to be grounded in Jesus, we have to be able to give a reasonable explanation for the faith that is within us. And baptism actually is a part of that. You don't want to bury people while they're still alive. I mean, it's kind of spooky that you take a person you thought was dead, put them down in the ground, 
and all of a sudden they come up again. That's not supposed to work that way. I don't know if you're acquainted with it or not, but what is our Star Spangled Banner? It's our national anthem, right? Do you realize that that was written by Francis Scott Key? He wasn't born until two years after his mother died. Figure that one out. She got sick. They thought she was dead. And they had a, what they called, you know, a wake. In those days, they used to, uh, they used to say lay them out. They, they would have her body in the living room. And they would open the doors, and the people would come in from town. They'd pay respects to the family, and then they'd go out the other side. It just so happened that this particular case, coming through with the crowd, were a couple of grave robbers. And they paid their respects, but they also noticed she had some nice rings and earrings and necklace on. And so that night, they tried to bury them quickly, and they didn't embalm in those days. They just took her out and buried her. Put a nice big slab of stone on the top. Well, after everyone was gone, the grave robbers came back, put a rope over a tree, latched on to the the lid of the tomb, lifted it up, and one handed the other a knife and said, go down in there and get those rings even if you have to cut her fingers off. And so he went down in and he started to take off her jewelry and when he went to take the ring off of her finger, all of a sudden she reached over and touched his hand. What would you do? (laughs) Well, That grave robber, boom, was gone out of there in no time. And I guess he's still running to this day. I don't know. But he made it out of that grave. Both of them did. And weak and feeble as she was, she crawled out of her tomb. And they buried her not far from the house. And she made her way back to the house. And she rapped on the door. And the servant opened the door and nearly had a heart attack. And when she did this, they quickly called for the doctor and they revived her. And it was two years later that Francis Scott Key, the author of Our Star Spangled Banner, was born. So we owe our national anthem to grave robbers. (laughs) No, I don't think so. I think we owe it to a power greater than that. But notice, when a person goes down into the grave, you want to be sure they're dead. Okay? And Jesus, when he went down into his grave, he was dead. And we, when we go down into the watery grave, we are buried in his baptism. Notice Romans 6, 3 and 4. Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, 
even so we also should walk in newness of life. My friends, I hope our life is different now than when we, it was before we met Jesus. How many of you know yourself that you're a different person today than you were in times past? Oh, praise the Lord. You see, Romans 6, 11 says, Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus, our Lord, our God. Notice when Jesus came out of the grave, he came out to newness of life, never to die again in his case. So what does baptism by immersion symbolize? It is the only thing in the Bible that's given for commemorance of the resurrection of Jesus. It's not any day of the week. It's not changing the day of the week. The commemoration for the resurrection of Jesus is baptism by immersion. It remembers his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And this is what God expects of us. Many churches in the early days practiced baptism by immersion. As a matter of fact, in the first century, archaeologists digging in Philippi notice what they found. They found this huge Looks like a little mini uh, swimming pool. It's only about that high, so it's probably more like a wading pool. They, they filled that with water. That was the baptistry. So it shows that way back in the first century, they practiced baptism by immersion. Even over in the uh, Cappadocia, they found baptismal tanks. They'd go down the steps into it, they would be baptized, even among the Essenes. When I was in Israel, I saw among the Essenes that they also had a baptismal tank like that. If you go to St. Peter's Cathedral in Rome, St. Peter's has a, a behind it a little building, and in there it has a baptismal tank. This one is kind of octagonal. But it was big enough for a person to get in to lay them down in the water and bring them up again. The Leaning Tower of Pisa has a baptismal tank in it. Even uh, Sancta Sophia over in Russia, it has a baptismal tank. And here... Vladimir, King Vladimir the Great, was baptized in that tank. So it shows that baptism by immersion was recognized in all Christendom, even in the Catholic Church. And notice this statement. It was not until the Council of Ravenna in A.D. 1311 that sprinkling and pouring officially uh, accepted as equally valid as immersion in the rite of baptism. But notice the reason why they did that. The reason why they went to sprinkling and pouring is because it was more convenient. Many of the kings did not want to go all the way down to that water and take off their royal robes and be baptized. Therefore, they would bring the water to them 
and say, oh, well, we'll splash a little bit on you and you're, you're baptized. But it loses the biblical significance of it. Notice what it says in Faith of Our Fathers, uh, page 275. For several centuries after the establishment of Christianity, baptism was usually conferred by immersion. But since the 12th century, that's 1100s, the practice of baptizing by infusion has prevailed in the Catholic Church as this manner was attended with less inconvenience than baptism by immersion. My friends, I think it was inconvenient for Jesus to be nailed to a cross. I think it was inconvenient for Jesus to be beaten. Don't you think we could inconvenience ourselves a little bit to be baptized? And so today, you have different forms of baptism that people practice today. Some some just put their hands on you and say, I baptize you with the Spirit. You are baptized. I call that the dry cleaning method. <laughs> you know, baptism has significance. And it's interesting that the same people who, who changed the Sabbath also changed the mode of baptism. You see, how does that affect us? First off, there were requirements before a person is baptized. You don't just show up and jump in the tank, you see. Notice, the scripture says that we should repent of our sins, be sorry for our sins. Secondly, we must believe. We must believe that Jesus sends the Holy Spirit to us to give us the strength to live for him, that he is our Savior and Lord. And then we must learn of him. We're to learn of him before baptism, and we're to learn of him after baptism. We grow in our relationship with him. Here are the steps to baptism. uh, Repent, a genuine sorrow, sorrow for sin. Secondly, believe an acceptance of Jesus as both Savior and Lord. Now, I want to I stop there for a moment. There's a difference between Savior and Lord. So many people I hear say, I believe that Jesus is my Savior. Well, good for you. So does the devil. Didn't do him much good, did it? All right. I believe in the Bible. So does the devil. You see... Savior is what Jesus did for you, you see. He saved you from your sins. Lord is what he's doing in you and through you, you see. This means he takes the initiative here and Jesus says, Lord, you're getting, no longer is he your co-pilot, he becomes your pilot. You see, he's the one that guides your life. And now I live to serve my Lord. If he's my co-pilot, he lives to serve me. You see. And so, believing 
involves accepting Jesus not only as your Savior, but the Lord of your life. Now, if you accept him as the Lord of your life, don't you think that's going to make a few changes in your priorities, in your thoughts, your actions? Okay, and then he says, learn of me, instruction in the essentials of biblical faith. He, a baby has to learn to walk. And when we are, when we are baptized or born into Christ, we have to start learning to live like one. You know, it's interesting. We elect a president in November. And after we elect the president in November, he has from November till January to learn to act like a president. To walk and talk and think and conduct himself like a president. So we, we may have the title of Christian. We may have the title of redeemed. But now we need to walk like the redeemed. We need to develop the type of character that God would be pleased to have in his kingdom. Notice that some people like to uh, believe in baptizing children. But I want you to look at this. Why? Because of a belief in the doctrine of original sin. Adam sinned, and because of his sin, we all have to be baptized. Well, I want you to, I didn't have time to put this on a slide, but look at Deuteronomy 24, 16. You got your Bibles in front of you. Pull it out and look at Deuteronomy 24, 16. And notice what it says here. The fathers shall not be put to death for their children, nor shall the children be put to death for their fathers. Uh, a person shall be put to death for his own sins. What is he saying? That we are not responsible for the sins of our parents. We're not even responsible for Adam's sin. Now, it's true that because of his sins, it's easier for us to do what's wrong. We have a bent towards sin. But we are not responsible or guilty for those sins. It also notice we're not responsible for those of our parents. Maybe our parents lived in an immoral life. I don't care how you got here. You're here. Right? You're here. What are you going to do about it? How are you going to live your life? You can't change where you came from. You can only change where you're going to, you see, and how you're going to affect others. We may have certain weaknesses. We may be disposed because diabetes runs in our family or whatever. Maybe, maybe uh, our parents had AIDS and the kids got the AIDS from the parents. Kids didn't do anything wrong, but they got the, the physical, natural uh, law uh, interacted here and they developed the disease. But does that mean that they're responsible for their parents' action? Does it mean that God hates them? No, not at all. And so we find Deuteronomy 24, 16 tells us that we are not responsible for Adam and Eve and their sin. Notice also 
through the power of Christ and the Holy Spirit in our lives, every inherited and acquired sin may be overcome. We may overcome it through the power of Christ. And when we say, well, my parents were this way, it's in my genes, nothing I can do. I remember not too long ago, an article came out in a magazine, national magazine. I think it was, I think it was Time, I'm not sure, maybe Newsweek. It said, infidelity, it's in your genes. There's nothing you can do about it. My friends, I'm going to tell you, there is something you can do about it. Stay in your genes. So we can overcome. We can't blame mom and pop for our problems. We need to overcome it and not follow their example. So why do people baptize babies? Because they have the idea that, especially during the Middle Ages, and by the way, I want to make a statement. A lot of these changes that came, came gradually, and they were well-intended. Somebody didn't just suddenly say, well, I'm going to change all the Bible today. No, they were well-intended, but they had gotten away from Scripture. And once you get away from Scripture, you can be very well-intended and not even realize that you're drifting away from the mooring grounds of faith. Why do people baptize babies? Well, because of the belief that especially in the Middle Ages, when children died young. They, they believed that if you didn't baptize that baby before it died, that baby would never go to heaven. It would go to hell, or purgatory, whichever the case may be. It would go to hell, and there would burn forever. Well, does God punish the innocent? The Scripture repeatedly speaks against uh, shedding innocent blood. Why should he say it in the scriptures and then do it himself? You see, it was a misunderstanding that they had to get that child before it went on. Now, I do want to bring out a point, and that is babies should be brought to the church, and dedicated to the Lord. There's a difference between dedication and baptism, you see. Dedication, when parents bring a baby to church, and I've dedicated a lot of kids, even my own grandkids, and my own kids too. Uh, No, I didn't know my kids. I did my grandkids. Somebody else did mine. But when, whenever they come to bring a child, just like Hannah brought young Samuel to be dedicated in the church. What is it? It's not so much a dedication of the child. It's a dedication of the parents that they're going to raise that child to love the Lord. You see? That they will guide the child in the right way until the child is of the age of accountability. Whatever that is. Some children... Come to accountability age at age 8. Some at 10. Some at 12. There are some people who never come to it. But it's when they can think 
and decide and choose for themselves. How can a little baby repent when he doesn't even know what sin is? All he knows is his diaper needs to be changed and he's hungry. Right? And how can he uh, accept the Lord when he doesn't even know who the Lord is? You see. And so this is the reason why we do not practice and many of your churches do not practice uh, infant baptism because it's not in the scripture. As a matter of fact, it undermines the whole significance of baptism. Nicodemus came to see Jesus and he asked Jesus a very important question. What must I do to be saved? Now, he was a leader in Israel. He was a member of the Sanhedrin. But he came to Jesus at night so nobody would see him. You know, I mean, he was too respectable a man to be coming to this man that they wanted to crucify. And he said, what do I have to do? And Jesus says, you need to be born again. Now, don't kid yourself. Nicodemus knew what that terminology meant because the Pharisees used to tell uh, converts or proselytes when they would baptize them, they would say they are born again. They are babes in the eyes of God. And here Jesus is telling one of the leading theologians in the nation, you need to be born again. And notice how Nicodemus dodges that. He says, well, how could I go back in my mother's womb and be born again? You notice Jesus doesn't even answer that question. He just says, in my paraphrase, oh, come on, Nicodemus, get off it. He didn't say that. That's not in the scriptures. He says, Nicodemus, a man must be born of what? Of water and of the spirit. In plain words, if the Spirit of God is working on your heart, you need to follow it with the water of baptism. We find in Acts 2, 38, it says, speaking of Peter, it says, Then Peter said unto them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin, and you shall receive the Holy Spirit. God promises to send the Holy Spirit to us when we repent and when he sends us the Holy Spirit. Inwardly, we may not see a difference in a person. I mean, we may not know you have the Holy Spirit, but if the Holy Spirit is working in your life, are you going to stay the way you are? You're going to make some changes. And this is what the Holy Spirit does. He accepts you where you're at, but he never leaves you there. He always changes you. And it, he says that he's changing us in our heart, but now, if he's really working in your life, you will witness to him outwardly with an outward expression by going through the waters of baptism. And so, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have, been put, have put on Christ. It means your life has changed. You are starting to live not for yourself, but when you come up out of that water, you are 
determined that you're going to live for Christ. Now, some people think, well, once you come up out of the water, oh, everything's coming up roses. I'm, uh, everything's perfect now. You know what? I used to have chickens. And we had one that inevitably used to get out of the chicken pen. Did we go chasing after the ones that were inside the pen? We went chasing the one that got away. And so it is with the devil. He doesn't like it when you're getting away from him. And so you're going, you can expect he's going to give you a hard time. You can expect people are going to make fun of you. People are going to ridicule you. People are going to try to pull you down because they know that they have to make some changes in their lives too. And then they can either come up to where you are spiritually or they can pull you down to where they are. And so we find that the Holy Spirit encourages us to be faithful and to be strong. And those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. I, from, when I say persecution, I don't mean you're going to be nailed to a cross, although some may. But you can be sure that your relatives and friends are going to say, and you call yourself a Christian every time you make a mistake. Whenever I hear somebody say, and you call yourself a Christian, that is spiritual manipulation. That's spiritual manipulation. They're trying to drag you down so they don't have to come up. So, don't let it get you down. Expect it. Acts 19.5 says, When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, what's this talking about? You see, when, when um, Pete, I mean, what's his name? John the Baptist was preaching. He preached the gospel of repentance. And it wasn't until later that some of his uh, Jesus' disciples ran across some of John's disciples. And they said, um, they start talking about the Holy Spirit. They were learning new truth. They didn't know that. And they said, uh, have you been baptized with the Holy Spirit? And they said, Holy Spirit? We never even heard of the Holy Spirit. And so they explained all about it. And you know what? Even though these men had been baptized in John's baptism, and they were probably very sincere, when they learned new light, what did they do? They got rebaptized in the name of Jesus. Why? Because now they were making a decision for the truth as they saw it in the Word of God. Look at Acts 2.41. Then they were... they. They that gladly received his word were baptized. The Lord is calling us back to biblical truth. This is what he wants for us. It's actually a marriage between us and Christ. Christ is called the groom. The church is called the bride of Christ. Now, I've been a groom before, but I've never been a bride. 
But you know what? Collectively, guys, we are the bride of Christ. We, we are the bride of Christ. We are the one that he loves. He's, we're the ones he wants to be faithful to, and he wants us to be faithful to him. As we look further, we find that here's a fellow by the name of uh, Naaman mentioned in the scriptures. And he went to the prophet. He was a mighty man. He was a, a, a commander in the Syrian army. But he had leprosy. And he went to the prophet. And by the way, it was the little girl who sent him there. Interestingly enough, even children can lead adults to the Lord. And he went and he expected that the prophet would say some magic words and wave a wand over him, and he'd be healed of his leprosy. But, you know, the prophet didn't even go out to meet him. He sent a servant out, and he said, tell him to go wash seven times in the Jordan. Now, I've seen the Jordan River, and it's muddy certain times of years. And he says, why should I wash in that muddy old river when back in Syria, we have two good rivers that are perfectly clear. I mean, he wasn't going to do it. He was going to turn around and leave. But his men, his officers said to him, hey, what have you got to lose? Come on, you got leprosy. At least try it. You know, so often we fear to venture out because of our pride. And so what happens? Naaman goes down. He goes into the water. And he dunks under once. He comes up. Oh, those white spots are still all over him. He still has leprosy. Well, okay. He goes down a second time. Comes up. He's still got the leprosy. Forehead all over him. Goes down again. Three, four, five. Six, and I'm sure it's go, it went through his mind, hey, come on, this is getting old. I wonder if he really knows what he's talking about. And then, because the prophet said to do it seven times, he obeyed. If he had quit at six, do you think he would have been healed? I don't think so. He went down the seventh time. And when he came up, he looks at himself. Where's the spots? He looks in the water and sees his reflection. It's gone. And his men are hollering and praising the Lord for it. Oftentimes, we miss the blessing because we quit too early. My friends, what about you? What about in your life? Are there blessings you've missed out on? Because you quit asking. You quit before you gain the blessing. Look at Acts twenty-two, sixteen. The world today, there are many who are struggling between whether or not they should live for the Lord, make a decision for Christ, or whether or not they should just continue on their own way and live for the things of the world. It's a decision that we all have to make. And 
Only we can make it one by one. But Jesus is coming in those clouds. He's coming for those who have made a decision and got off the fence. And he promises that if we ask him to, he will bury our sins in the bottom of the sea. He'll drop it in the water. You know, it's very interesting to note that the Sea of Galilee is up here. The Dead Sea is down here. The River Jordan connects those two seas together. The Sea of Galilee is referred to as the Sea of Life. It's got fish. It's got all kinds of things in it. And fishermen are constantly fishing up there because it's teeming with life. The Dead Sea, everything's dead. And the River Jordan connects them. And what happens when John brought these people out to baptize them in the river? He put them under the water and their sins were washed down to the Dead Sea. Washed away so that they could be free and live free. In closing, there's a story, true story, about a man who was an atheist and his wife was a Christian. And she kept begging him through the years to give his heart to the Lord. And he, he just didn't believe God. He wasn't going to do it. At the age of 95, you know, I mean, when you're 95, you don't, you don't have a whole lot of time left. And at 95, one night, he had a dream. And he dreamed that he saw Jesus. And Jesus asked him to come to him. Well, he woke up and he thought, ah, this is silly. But it was about a week or two later, he had the same dream. And he thought to himself, well, maybe I can at least investigate it. And he started to go to church. He started to listen to the gospel. He started reading the Bible. A man who was in his 90s, an atheist, when he started reading the scriptures and finding out who the Jesus of the Bible was, at the age of 97, he gave his heart to the Lord and was baptized. My friends, I praise the Lord for that, don't you? Whether you're old or whether you're young, we all have to make a decision ourselves. God has no grandchildren. He only has children. And he wants each and every one of us, no matter what our age is, to be a child of God, to make a decision for him. And Jesus is coming soon. Are you ready to meet him? Tonight, as we close, on the tables in front of you, if you've never given your heart to the Lord, if you've never been baptized before, or maybe you have and you drifted away, and you want to renew, like your wedding vows, you know. My wife and I, we were married 40 years. And we were faithful to each other, and everything went well, but on our 40th anniversary, we 
decided to get remarried again. And my son-in-law conducted the ceremony. And we were married again. We figured the first 40 years went well. I think we can try it another 40 years. And so we were remarried again. What about your relationship with Jesus? Maybe you were baptized as a baby. Maybe you were baptized as a teenager or even later life and you've drifted away. Or you didn't understand the scriptures. But now that you have come to the Lord and you you have learned what the scripture says, you would like to consider being baptized. In front of you is a card and nobody's forcing you to do anything. But if you'd like to just take that card, there's certain questions on there. Let's just let me read them to you. There's five of them, okay? First one says, I understand that Bible baptism is only by immersion and is a symbol of death to sin and being raised to a new life with Jesus. If you understand that, check it. I desire to be baptized like Jesus. Maybe you've never been baptized again. If you'd like to check that, do so. Uh, I desire to be rebaptized. Maybe you've been baptized before, but you'd like to do it again to renew yourself with the Lord and a fuller understanding of living for him. And then the next one says, I have been baptized into the body of Christ, but desire to become part of a Sabbath-keeping body of believers. And if you would like to start keeping the Sabbath, you can check that. I have questions regarding baptism. Maybe there's some things about baptism you still don't understand. Go ahead and check that too. God knows your heart. And God wants your heart. He says, my son, give me thine heart. He never forces anyone to serve him. Tonight, as we close, let's have a word of prayer. And come before the Lord and ask him to give us power in our lives to live for him. Shall we pray? Gracious Father, we thank you for your blessings. We thank you for loving us even when we're unlovable. And we ask that you will come into our hearts and fill us. Send your Holy Spirit to us. And Lord, if we've not made a decision for baptism, or perhaps we've drifted away and would like to renew that experience, perhaps we've come into greater understanding of things, and we'd like to commit ourselves to that understanding, we pray that you will come into our hearts and give us wisdom and help us to make a decision and get off the fence. Bless us that we may serve you. In Jesus' name, amen.